Okay, welcome to the Leaders for Good podcast. I'm very lucky today to have two guests, Luli and Susie. So Luli Adiamo is the founder and director of purpose-led consulting firm, Best Case Scenario. And she's also the director of Tech Diversity, which we are going to speak about a lot more later. Susie is an executive team behavioral coach, and she mainly works with founder-led tech businesses on their journey to scale. She is also a co-founder of Tech Diversity. So we're gonna jump off there, and we'll start to talk about Tech Diversity and how Luli and Susie find themselves doing the work that they do. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Carrie. Thanks, Carrie. it's great to be here. And my first question for you then, we always start in the same place, but how, was, how did you come to find yourselves involved in the world of diversity and technology? What brought you to this point? Suze, I'm going to let you go first because <laughs> you're, you're the reason I'm here. So, uh... <laughs> All right. Well, I have worked in the tech sector. I, I, I started in 1994 and I started my own company in 2001 um, working with you know founders of tech businesses, and I often find that I'm the only female in the room, even now. And I think one of the biggest challenges for me is always just calling it, speaking out. But I can only have an impact on those people who I'm immediately working with. So the Tech Diversity Foundation is something that's very close to my heart. And that was the reason behind starting it. I think we're in our seventh year this year. So that's that's how, why it is I do what I do every day. Hmm. Love it. Lily? Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I'm here because of Suze. Like, we, like Suze, not far behind Suze, actually. I've been involved in the tech sector since the late 90s uh, with uh, IT research firm Gartner. And, and the same thing, you know, you know since then, you know, it, it's um, continually showing up um, and going to different, whether it's a forum, a conference, uh, a briefing, and, and not feeling represented in the room. You know, the, it's uh, you know, often the only female, definitely the only female of colour. Uh, and, you know, it, it needs to change. You know, they're, they're, they're the big organisations um, making big decisions that impact our life, um, social impact, environmental impact. Uh, we should be part of the design and decision around that. Um, so, you know, when I first attended, um, well, actually ran, you know, the, uh, the, the event management side of Tech, Tech Diversity Foundation seven years ago, um, to see an organisation that was looking to have impact and change around the lack of diversity in our industry was something I was instantly drawn to. Um, and thought, like, finally, that there's something here um, that hopefully is going to have a significant an impact and change the dial. Yeah, perfect. And I think that leads us quite neatly on to digging a bit deeper into tech and diversity. Like, what's your mission? Mm. What, what, what are the sort of practical steps that you're, you're taking and how are you working with the industry and organisation? So I'm not going to keep throwing to you first, but you can go first. <laughs> <laughs> well, look, I, I think, you know, if we, if we go back seven years, the focus was primarily on gender diversity. And I, I think it's... You know, we've got that that old cliche, you know, you can't be what you can't see. We do talk a lot about the importance of diversity for the economy and the difference that it's going to make to generations to come. And I think one of the biggest challenges with, with diversity is often something that we are not necessarily conscious of. We don't actually go out there looking to build a diverse workforce. And in fact, when a business is scaling, I mean, it's just keeping your head above water and doing all that you can. And I think we need to be talking and, and educating businesses about the importance of innovation and at the foundation 
diversity in order to create an innovative business. So it goes way beyond gender. But I think if we can just start somewhere, if you get intentional about any form of diversity in any business, you are going to have a positive impact. And now we know, I mean, there's all the, the data, which Luli will speak to, to support the benefits of focusing on diversity. If you are a business that is looking to be relevant and to be around and to endure, then we need to make it a place that's going to be a great place to work for generations to come. We can't just be thinking about the next product launch or the next five years. We actually need to be thinking about, you know, how to be relevant and remain relevant and to attract people of all shapes, sizes, experiences. Yeah, perfect. Luli, anything to add? I think Suze has framed it really well there, but um, you know, it's when we look at the foundation now. I mean, you know, it, it you know, it started off uh, really being focused and centered around the awards program, mm -hmm. um, which was, you know, from you know the original founders' point of view, you know, how can we have the most impact and get the most visibility around the importance of this topic and what other people are doing? Awards are a great way to do that, right? You know, it shines a light on initiatives that are working already, uh, and hopefully by doing that encourages other organizations and individuals um, to take on board some of these programs that are working for other organizations. Um, but, you know, to Susan's point, you know, we're, we're now looking at what does a conversation beyond once a year look like? Um, and, you know, that's where we've really taken the foundation now. Um, so the, the education piece is, is really important. And we talk about um, educating the industry uh, around the value and impact and importance of a diverse, uh, equitable and inclusive, inclusive workforce, uh, but also working with those education institutions. Um, but, you know, once you've done the education piece, you need to help um, companies on their journey around the implementation side of things. So that's uh, the other pillar. Um, so, you know, it, it's all well and good talking about the how, uh, the, the why, sorry. And, you know, there, there's some great research to actually support that. Um, but then you need to back and support in regards to that, the how piece and, and work with organisations that can take people on that journey. So, you know, we, what we talk about at the, the foundation, like we're not the doers. Uh, we're about uh, being a conduit to bring all those different stakeholders and, and you know, um, uh, companies together to, to help at whichever level you may be at, whether you're just kind of inquisitive around what DE&I means um, or you're having problems at a leadership level or how do I sell it internally, whatever the, the need may be, then, then you can come to the foundation and we can support you on that journey. Perfect. And we had a really interesting conversation that was something I hadn't actually considered when we first talked about how technology is not just what we think of as traditional technology, but how mm. that's embedded in all organizations and the sort of mm. societal impacts of that. I don't know who's best to talk to it, but I thought that was a really interesting angle to think about all this from. Yeah. I, mean, I, get, I get excited about this, right? And I, and I, and I think it's, um, as, as an industry, um, we, we have an issue, right, in regards to talents and, and skills in, in, in tech. Um, and the, you know, and I think, you know, part of that issue is that we're not very good as an industry at, at talking about what we do and the impact that we have on lives. So I think, you know, most, you know, outside of people that have always wanted to be in tech or have grown up in, you know, have that natural pull towards STEM type sort of, you know, um, uh, learning, um, people don't think, oh, I'm going to get a job in technology. And the reason for they don't draw the correlation between things that they're 
that are important to them, to their values, you know, the social impact, environmental impact, health and well-being, um, accessibility, disability. Um, they, they don't draw the correlation between um, those values that they're important to them and the role that technology plays to have the impact that they're actually looking for. Tech underpins everything. Um, so I think, you know, if, if we can get a better, you know, rhetoric and a better message out uh, around your, your very societal impact is huge. Uh, do you know the role that technology plays in that? And, and, and that's why, you know, we, we've literally today just launched the, the tech for good category as part of the, uh, the tech diversity awards program. Uh, and the reason for that is to really shine a light on innovation for good. Uh, and I hope, um, you, know, you know, shine a light on the, the need to bring people into the industry that have a passion around some of these societal environment, environmental goals uh, that can be part of the design of the technology to create the outcome that we're all looking for. Yeah, because that was one of the really important points. You said if we're not having broad representation in designing those solutions, we're missing an amazing range of perspectives and we're never going to be getting the best solutions to the really important problems that exist in society. Mm -hmm. I thought that was a really important point. Yeah. Yeah, and it doesn't matter what you know, career for want of a better term, but, but what sort of industry you're choosing, you are choosing a, a future in technology mm. now. Mm. So what, what's the impact that you want to have? What's the difference that you want to make? Mm. And, you know, technology is an amazing enabler and I don't think we talk about it enough. And we can't be waiting until, you know, students are thinking about university. We've got to be starting the conversation in primary education. Um, but the technology, of course, is moving ahead so quickly mm. and education is not moving at, at the pace that the, the tech is. So we, we need to be thinking much bigger picture, much longer term ab about how it is we do educate our young people, get them really excited about the things that are possible. I mean, they are way ahead of us anyway, if mm. you think about it. Um, mm. So how can we bring all of those things together um, and and help to, to begin the conversation. Mm. Beginning the conversation early is such an interesting area. Have either of you seen the um, ABC series, The School That Tried to End Racism? No. It's definitely worth watching. It's basically an experiment where they go into school over three weeks and they run a whole series of exercises with a class of like 10 or 11-year-olds. And it's about helping them think differently about race. And it is amazing but it's exactly the principles that you're talking about there about getting people into tech but this is about how we how we yeah how we basically build diversity and inclusion from primary school age and it's pretty amazing in terms of both the activities they do but also the results it looks like they're getting um so completely agree around yeah primary school early 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 focus on some of these really important areas yeah. okay so if we we've talked about tech if we just think a bit more broadly for a second, like what, what challenges are there in achieving diversity? And when we talked about this a little bit in our earlier talks, we went down a couple of sort of different routes, one around politics, one about sport. Let's just take the conversation broad for a second. What are, the, what are those sort of big challenges that we're seeing in time, terms of trying to build diversity more broadly? Mm. Oh, I, I, <laughs> I actually think that the biggest challenge is that we, we don't spend the time, we don't take the time. Like, what, what are the benefits of diversity? Mm. I, I don't think we talk about that enough. 
And when we were preparing for today, I, I shared a story. You know, I, I was in a boardroom recently with an executive team and they were all male, pale, stale, and, and then there was me. And, and we were talking about the challenges in the business and where the business was going in the future. And uh, I actually brought up the topic of diversity and said, you know, Let's have a look around the room. What, what do you observe? What do you see here? And one of them went, oh, my goodness, I get it. It's like the penny dropped. And he said, mm. you know what we should do, David? We should ring Julia. You know Julia? She'd be great. She'd be great for the board. Um, and that's often the way diversity works at a very um, senior executive or board level. And the challenge with that is that it's quite limiting. So if you want to think big picture and long term, mm. um, how is it that we begin with all of this? Well, let's measure where we're at right now. And there's some amazing technology um, diversity outlets, which um, I might actually ask you to talk to in a minute, Lully, but, but it's an amazing platform to be able to look at what it is you have now in terms of diversity, what your diversity targets might be, and to, to track and, and measure the shifts in diversity in your company as it evolves. Now, the great thing about that is that you can use KPIs as well to, to measure the impact of that diversity on the bottom line. And we know that the diversity does have an impact on the bottom line. It has an impact on innovation. Um, we need to bring neurodiversity into a variety of different decisions that the company mm. is making because of the pace of technology mm. and the impact that it's having. So I think the first thing is, and it's a long answer to your question, Kerry, but mm. I think the first thing is getting really intentional about it. I think the biggest challenge is that we enable the business to scale without actually being intentional about the how. And we can get intentional from everything from recruitment, you know, we can get in intentional about education. And, you know, with the categories in, in tech diversity and, and for your listeners that are out there thinking, ah, oh, this is really interesting, I'd like to learn more, do go and have a look at the Tech Diversity Awards because we've got four, four categories. Um, there's business, um, education, media, and government. So having a look at how to get intentional, there are so many examples there of organisations that have won awards in those categories mm. over the years. And those initiatives have made a significant difference not just to how it is people are feeling at work, but also to the bottom line. So I'd start there. Mm. Perfect. We'll include a link to that in the show notes, as well as the Diversity Atlas will include links to both. But Lily, you might and, want to talk about that. Yeah, and just, to, just to, to add to that, and I, I, I agree, Suze, with everything that you, you've said there, um, but I think um, being able to measure the current state uh, and the impact of change is going to be single-handedly, the, the, I think, one of the biggest uh, initiatives that's going to uh, have a shift uh, in impact through the foundation. And, you know, the, the analogy I always use, like, I've been in tech long enough um, to have been around when the, the green IT and sustainability conversation first 
started to happen and you know there seemed to be a few champions within the organization um that would you know beating the the but you know the drama about being more sustainable that, this that and the other um but it wasn't until there were business impacts and business goals that could be measured the measured around being more sustainable that there was a shift and that's when the step change happened and that's when it became a business imperative uh, and I, I think it's the same with uh, with diversity and inclusion uh you know it's Many organisations, you know, we, we know that the, the rhetoric's there. Um, you know, you know by the fact that, you know, one of the, you know, the, the biggest um, increases in job role types over the last year has been the diversity and inclusion manager uh, within major organisations. You know, because people now have a DNI policy on their website, uh, but doing those, what I consider, you know, it's not tick box exercises for everybody, but it is for a lot uh, to be seen to be doing the right thing. Uh, being seen to be doing it and doing it are two very different things. Um, so, you know, it, it's the, the, the initiative that, that Susie, you know, did, just touched on then in regards to Diversity Atlas and the partnership we have with them. Uh, that's around working with it, other industry associations and government organisations to measure um, what the diversity, the current diversity makeup is of their workforces. Um, the, the, but that's step one, right? You know, okay, so we now know what the diversity makeup is of the workforce. Um, but if we're going to be representative of community, we need to do a comparison with community. Um, so through the platform, we can pull in third party data, so we can pull in something like the census data. Then all of a sudden, you've got a, you've got a measurement or comparison of what the diversity makeup is of the workforce. You can it with the community so you can see where there's low or no representation in the community in one of the biggest employees in the states um, then we can get intentional about the programs that are run to close that gap but then the great thing is because you've got the measurement of a current state you're intentional about a program to change that you can then measure the impact of that in the future state. Um, so I think, you know, when businesses can see the business value and impact of their diverse and inclusive workforce, that's when we get systemic change. Yeah. Yep. And, and look, the other word there is inclusion. I think we talk mm. about diversity a lot. Mm. I think we've got to get much better at talking about inclusion and how mm. we measure inclusion. Let's start talking to our workforce mm. about how they feel. Uh, mm. at work and what it is we need to change to order in order to increase their level of engagement you know I think a lot of people if you were to walk up to them in any organization and ask them about their last engagement survey they'd probably roll their eyes out loud mm. you mm. know and we've all been there you know it's mm. something that's done once a year and you know really in the back of your mind you're thinking what have they done since this time last year? Did they mm. actually take note of what I I took the time and effort to write on that mm. survey? Uh, I think you've got to read the comments. You've got to really think long and hard about what it is you need to shift within your organisation to make it more inclusive. Because if we make it more inclusive, naturally you're going to start to move the dial on diversity. People are going to say, I've got the best job in the world, this is the best I've ever had. I love it here. They're going to be telling their friends over dinner and before you know it, it's going to be really easy to attract more of that kind of talent rather mm. than it having to be push, pull, push, pull. And inclusion um, is equally as important, of course. 
think the other thing that you said there, which I read again the other day, was the difference between what organizations say and what people in the business actually think. So I read yeah. the stat that about 80% of organizations now have some form of diversity and inclusion policy, but only around 20 or 30% of people think that their organization is actually doing a good job in diversity and inclusion. So it's like that huge gap. And the question, which is exactly what you just articulated, and the way to find out how we close that gap is by speaking to our people and understanding what we what we need to do. Because we work with quite a range of organizations and no no diversity and inclusion strategy looks the same there are of course common elements things like measurement but in terms of the actual actions to close that gap it really does vary based on the organization um Mm. so yeah i think and i know we talked about this before lily but the the data-led and insights-led approach to to doing this is so important yeah i think so and i I love you know i mean it's kind of you know given we are the tech diversity foundation and you know i think you know tech is going to play such a big part in helping us achieve our goals. Like our mission is to make diversity and inclusion the number one business priority in Australia. Um, but you know, you know, you know we, we can't do that one company at a time. There needs to be a broader movement. So you know, it, it's it, it's it's a big you know it's a big mission. Um, it, it's a big goal. Um, but you know, with the the right sort of partners and the right sort of intent uh, and the right platforms um then then we can achieve this um so you know you know we're, we're talking about this every single day uh and every single day we get a step closer um to achieving that goal but i think you know you know it, it, it's there, there's little incremental steps that, that you can take on the way right and i think you know the, the the bit that's often missed um or not communicated or not talked about effectively is that the role that we all have to play in this you know you know you know just because i'm not a part of the executive leadership team doesn't mean that i don't have a role or can't have a role to play in regards to especially the inclusive part within the organization so you know that talking to your peers you know talking to somebody different sharing a point of view if you're not you know if, if you're not sharing yourself uh, and hopefully you've got the environment that you, that you feel you can share yourself and you can be yourself. And then people, you're, you're denying people an opportunity to see and hear a different point of view. Um, but I think, you know, the, the key there is, you know, being in an environment where you feel as you can do that. Yeah. What would you what would be your advice to people that feel like they're in an environment where they don't feel they can can do that? They can be themselves and can share. Well, they've got. They've got a few choices. There's probably three that I can think of. They can, number one, just suck it up. Uh, Number two, they could actually find someone within the organisation that they could talk to about how it is they're feeling. And often, um, in my experience, that that person may not be within the HR team. Um, It might be somebody that they have met through a project that they're working on. It could be somebody that they relate to in some way. So so it is about reaching out, but reaching out with with curiosity, having some well-thought-out questions, actually planning the conversation to open it up and to see whether there is a, a possibility of of finding their way within the organisation that they have joined. Because the third option, of course, is to go somewhere else. Mm. And going somewhere else uh, really opens up another can of worms because you still have that big challenge of trying to find your place in, in a new place of employment. So, yeah, option two is the challenging one and it's also the easiest one once you've 
prepared and started the conversation. So, so that's that's what I would do. Mm. What about you, Luli? Yeah, the time. <laughs> yeah. It's you know it's really hard, Kerry, because yeah. uh, you know, and you've probably got listeners, you know, shaking their heads right now. Um, you know, on the back of what has been a really challenging eighteen months, where um, we've all got this, you know, virtual meeting fatigue. Um, there's been so much research to talk about what you know what the meeting fatigue does to our brains. Um, we're already, you know, pretty anxious before we even get on, and then we've got back to back to back meetings. How, where do you even begin? in mm. trying to find your way back home at, at work um, in this new hybrid environment. And, and I think it's one conversation at a time. And it really starts with leadership. Mm. And there are a lot of leaders out there who are also suffering in silence. Yep. And, and they need to lead by example. And I know we hear a lot. See, vulnerability is the other thing because we're hearing so much about vulnerability. Mm. But, you know, show me a leader that is truly vulnerable and uh, I'll show you a team that's truly engaged. And there's just mm. not enough of that. I love and that. Maybe I we think... say... Oh, go on, Lily. And I'm going to come no, back no. to people, leaders yeah. that we think are doing real vulnerability, but we'll loop back to that. <laughs> yeah, and you know, to, to add to that, Suze, I think you know, you know what, you know, to counter what, what has happened over the last eighteen months. I think, um, to your point, I think leaders have become more vulnerable. Um, you know, that there, there hasn't been, you know, the, the suit to hide behind, or the boardroom table to hide behind, yeah. or the big, you know, workstation in the office. You know, everyone's been at home, so you, you, you've seen mm -hmm. that side of a leader that you maybe wouldn't have seen before. So you know, you, you've. It's probably been easier in, in some respects to have that type of conversation over the past 18 months, in, in, you know, to prior to the to the pandemic. But I just hope that that vulnerability and you know honesty and openness continues and we don't go back to those false walls, you know, the armor, the suited armor um, that um, you know that, that leaders often you know hide behind before. But I'll add to something. I mean, it, it's you know, I grew up in a in Middle England uh, in in uh, historical Newark on Trent. Um, you know, so you know I, I was the only black kid uh, in my school. Um, I was one of three black families uh, in my town, but you know, I wasn't um, included with the other black families because I was adopted. So I was slightly, you know, different from that respect. Um, but, but what you, you know, so wherever I've been and the obviously coming to Australia, um, you know, no different in regards to, you know, cultural diversity, especially in the eastern suburbs of Sydney. Um, but, you know, you know, what, what I've learned is, you know, it, it's people aren't always, uh, it's not deliberate around not including, they just don't know how. Uh, and, you know, and I think, you know, having grown up uh, in the environment that, that I had, where I've always been the, the different person, I never think that I'm not being included because I'm not being included. I assume that I am. And I, so I always participate. I always show up. Uh, and, you know, it, it's amazing how quickly um, the engagement changes. Uh, and you know, you know how open people actually are when you give them the opportunity. And you know, I'm not saying for a second that you know you should be having to force that all the time. Um, but I think you know, coming with a mindset of thinking I am included, uh, you know, it really changes a, a dialogue and a conversation.
Yeah, great point. I think the the one watch out and when we were talking about people's options, I guess, if they're in an environment where they're feeling excluded, it's just, yeah, the watch out around how impactful exclusion can be on your well-being. Mm. So I guess my only ad- addition to that is if, you, if you're in a scenario where you don't think it can change, I would just say mm. get out. Mm-hmm. Um, in so many of the sessions we run, we hear the yeah the level of impact it has outside of the workplace, but into mm. your personal life. So yeah, I think just not underestimating the the impact if you are in a negative situation. And, and I think that, I mean, you know, the, the, the workplace psychological safety uh, conversation is, is huge, isn't it? And I think this is, you know, um, you know, sometimes organisations, you know, they have these programmes and initiatives and it's encouraging people to, you know, to, you know, to step up, speak up, engage, but they're not in an environment where they feel as though they can, they don't yeah. feel as though they're supported. Um, so, you know, you know, you know, saying is one thing, but you need to provide the, the, the environment uh, for that to actually happen. Um, and I think, you know, that's, uh, a mistake that's often made um that you know you know statements are made and they but, <laughs> but they're not supported yeah and it's really positive intent i guess like people are try off most of the time i feel like organizations are trying but it's to your point earlier about that gap mm. in the how not having the knowledge and mm. how actually to do it because it's not easy like building no. psychological safety if you've got an organization that doesn't have it it's not it's not an easy task no um, any advice for organizations that need to build it how would they go about doing it any ideas Oh, well, look, you know, it's funny. I have just um, been in, in a session with a, a lady just now and we were talking about her boss and she said it was wonderful. He brought a coffee. We did a walk-talk session together. By the way, I'm in Melbourne, so we're, we're just sort of getting out of <laughs> yeah. um, what's been a very long lockdown. And she said he was so open with me and he said, I really want to, you know, help to you know grow you and you know help to scale the business through the wonderful people that we've got so I just I just need your feedback and she said I just can't do it I can't tell him you know and I I understand where she's coming from I understand where he's coming from he's he's wanting to know how he can do better and be better as a leader Mm. but she doesn't want to speak truth to power she doesn't want to say um when you're with me put down your mobile phone and just concentrate on me when I need your help just take me through the task from one end to the other without any distractions and then I'll get on with my job those are the things that she was sharing with me now of course I will inevitably share it with him over time and I'll I'll be able to get that message through but the reality is that we do not want to speak truth to power. We have a lot to risk. Um, we have our job. We have our relationship with our boss. Um, we, we don't know how it's going to impact on our work. So how is it that you go about building psychological safety? Because a lot of organisations do talk about you know, how it is we bring teams together, how it is we have these very difficult conversations and and how it is we can be more vulnerable. But ultimately, um, building psychological safety does start with leadership and it does start with leaders being um, vulnerable themselves but in in a way that is not, it's not trite, it's, it's actually sharing the challenges that they have had on their journey, um, how it is they feel when they make a mistake, the ability to say, I'm sorry. And when we executed that strategy, I hadn't thought things through. Mm. Um, To say to their business partner, I really care about you 
and I really value the business uh, getting to this point. And I understand that we've got our vulnerabilities now and we've got to work out how it is we're going to move forward together. And let's talk about that globally. I think these, these things are really difficult. And yet once we start these conversations, it, it's amazing how, how much easier it is to continue having them. So how do we build psychological safety? I think... Anybody in, a, in an organisation that has aspirations to create a happier workplace needs to have one conversation a day that mm. is a little outside of their comfort zone. Actually, not a little outside of their comfort zone, at the edge of their comfort zone. <laughs> yep. um, it, to give somebody some feedback, to actually say, if I was to give you some feedback on how it is you might do that presentation a little better, would you be open to, to having a coffee with me because I'd love to share it? And that's a closed question, but mm. I think it's the beginning of something that's profoundly important. Um, so, yeah, if we're all providing each other feedback, and I'm not talking here about shit sandwiches, I'm, I, mm. you know, it's, it's actually feedback in the moment, um, immediately following a situation, just picking up the phone and and offering, um, I think that's where it where it begins, Kerry. But you've probably got some good ideas too, with with yeah. your work. I th it's I think we often go to the vulnerability angle as well, mm -hmm. and I think exactly as you're articulating, it's a habit, right? Building like especially for people that don't feel particularly comfortable sharing. You have to, as you say, you set yourself a target. I'm going to do it once or twice a week. And then over time, you see the benefit as it becomes, it does become really normal. But I would agree that the psychological safety part absolutely starts at the mm. top. And I, I think authenticity as well, right? You know, the authenticity behind the, the, the statement and the headline. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, when they say things like, um, you know, fail fast, fail often. You know, you, you don't want to see someone fail and then get absolutely yeah. roasted. Um, yeah. So, you know, it, it, it's kind of like we're, we're human. So, you know, yeah. so, you know, we are going to make mistakes. Um, yeah. So, you know, there's obviously not as long as you don't keep making the same ones, but, you know, it, it's sometimes, you know, those sorts of things are told yeah. and said, uh, but then in practice, it's a very different story altogether. So yeah. I think, you know, authenticity behind what you're actually saying and, and showing that um, is, is really important. Mm. One of the things as part of our work we do with leaders is get them to basically build their story on why diversity, equity and inclusion matters to them. So we do it through mm. a series of exercises. But I think even that as a starting point, sharing the why behind why you care about something, whatever that topic may be, I think can mm. be a really powerful starting place for, for building psychological And, and it's OK if you don't care about it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, you know, you know it's like, as long as you're, you know, if you're Honest. open to, yep. to learning, exactly. Yep. It's, um, you know, you, you shouldn't feel, you know, be made to feel bad because it's not on your radar or something that yeah, you realise yeah. the value and importance of. Yeah, um, sharing what you don't know can also be really powerful, or what you're speaking mm. to learn or all of those things. Yeah. yeah. And look, something that I am getting much better at, and I will be very straight with you, in the, that I have found it so difficult to call things when they're not appropriate, when it's not mm. okay, when I'm sitting with clammy hands in a conversation that is not appropriate, that doesn't make me feel good, where I just think, oh, my God, how quickly can I get out of here? Mm. And that um, is something that's really important. When you do feel you, 
your hands getting clammy and when you do feel that your heart rate is, is increasing, that there is something going on that is not right and mm. what is it and to, to call it. And calling it in the moment, I think it's really difficult for the majority of us and I have rarely been able to do that. But I have made a commitment to myself to call it as soon as it's safe for me to do so. And so far, um, my commitment rate has been 100%. But I've only been doing that for the last 18 months because it, it's actually since I took the Tech Diversity Pledge, Lawley, you'll be happy mm -hmm. to know. When I took, and, and for your listeners, you can go to the Tech Diversity website and take the Tech Diversity Pledge. But the most important thing, I think, is just being in tune with how it is we're feeling. If we're feeling uncomfortable, mm. you can bet your bottom dollar there'll be somebody else in the conversation that's feeling uncomfortable too. And, and you've, you've got to call it. You've got, yeah. to, got to call it. Susie, mm. I'll stay on that for a moment if you don't mind because it's one of the most common questions we get, which is how do you call it? So I'm just wondering if you have any tips for our listeners and also whether you wouldn't mind maybe sharing an example of something that you've called out. Oh, I, I've got a, a recent one. I, I was thinking about it as I was saying this when I was talking about the clammy hands. Um, it was it was between lockdowns and um, it was at a Friday night drink. So everybody had got together um, and, you know, a few drinks were had, um, some inappropriate videos were shown and I I was so taken aback that I um, went home. I think I spent about the best part of five hours writing an email. I kept mm. coming back to it, thinking about what what was appropriate, you know, what was inappropriate, how it started, how it evolved, why I didn't call it. And I started to really sort of break it down. Um, and for me, putting in in writing actually helped to really validate the argument that I was putting together because ultimately you are choosing to back yourself mm -hmm. and your own feelings about a situation. And when you are feeling um, vulnerable or unsafe or uncertain, the first thing that we often do is question ourselves. Is it me? Like I was thinking, am I being a prude? I'm over 50. The majority of them were very young. Is You know, there was a lot of that going on for me um, after the event. And then, yeah, five hours of email writing, breaking it down, I started to recognise that you know, there would have been other people there that would have felt very uncomfortable. Um, so that that's an example. Um, I think, though, that's how it works for me. I, I, I actually like to write things down and, and really pull them apart. And also it's something that's very close to my heart. But I've seen other people call things out in the moment and they do it so well. Oh, mate, that mm. is not okay. What planet are you on today? Put that away. Mm. Right? Um, so I think we all have a very different mm. style and a very different approach. But the most important thing for me is just getting in tune with mm. how it is I'm feeling and then making a decision to either call it then or call it at some time. Yeah. Mm. What, what about you, Lully? 
Yeah, this, I mean, it, it's like I've got better. I think, um, I mean, sometimes the, the shock and disbelief of what's been said, uh, yeah. I, you know, the words have come out my mouth before I've even thought, you know, and, and sometimes I, I, could, I could probably be a bit more refined in the way that I call it out. Um, but but one example recently, and I think this really talks to the, the, the need um, to, to have a diverse range of people as, as part of any sort of group or anything that's making decisions around um impact and outcomes for, for you know whether it's societal or you know economic whatever it might be but there's one industry group that I, I i i sit on um and it was probably around about this time last year so to put it into context there were 12 guys so 12 middle-aged guys and, and myself uh and you know they're all very senior in leadership in their in their you know respective in, in industry um, uh, companies uh, and they made a comment around um, you know how quickly the economy had bounced back uh from the pandemic uh, and the fact that you know it hadn't had much of an impact on people's lives and i'm like are you serious? <laughs> uh, it hasn't had much of an impact on your northern beaches, you know, you know, senior leadership technology life. But and then I just rattled off, you know, you know, it, it's. It, I mean, I was so taken aback. You know, you don't have to look very far. Like, just listen to the news for a day uh, and, and see all the industries and individuals that have been impacted and are struggling to find. Like, people are struggling to eat. Yeah. Uh, you know, you know, let them keep that, you know, roof over their heads, and you're sitting here saying we're all okay anyway that got called out straight away and then you go but then what, what the disappointing thing then is that you're, you're often made to feel and I think this is something you need to be prepared for uh you, you're made to be to feel as though you've said something wrong or mm -hmm. out of for making them feel uncomfortable. Yeah. Uh, um, so I think you know that that's something, but that is okay. You know, I think you know that that is okay as long as it's you know it's said in a respectful manner. Yeah. Um, you know, you know, it, it's you know it, it, if you're if you're okay with that's probably how it's going to be received, and it's not you, <laughs> it's not a problem. Um, but you know, when it when it's something which is um, so wrong and, and so misrepresentative of the reality, then uh, I, I don't have a problem calling it out. Yeah, and the other thing too is if, if you have got some very senior executives that are in that conversation and they're allowing it to go through, I think it's so important to mm. go back to the goal. Yeah. You know, we are a, a diverse and inclusive organisation. Um, you know, fairness and equity are really important to us. And, and then to say, you know, what the conversation going on right now is borderline mm. and, and, it, and it has to, to stop. And I think it's really easy in those moments to feel like you are the, the negative one and shutting mm. it down. But, the, but be prepared, I would suggest. Be prepared to do it. Mm. And, uh, yeah, the Tech Diversity Pledge might help you to do that. Mm. I love it. They were both such good examples and tips. Um, so yeah, hopefully people will take something away from those ones. So we talked briefly a moment ago about inclusive leaders or leaders showing vulnerability. Does it, do either of you, can either of you think of any examples, either sort of famous or otherwise, of examples you've seen that have been amazing from that perspective in terms of sort of inclusive leadership, showing their vulnerabilities? Anyone come to mind? I mean, the the one there's there's a gentleman in the UK called Richard Freeman Dickey, uh, who was my boss uh, when I first moved into the tech 
sector. Mm -hmm. um, uh, you know, like, you know, I, I went from working in food and drink industry um, into tech, uh, and not just into tech, tech for an IT research company. So, you know, I'm surrounded by um, male analysts. Um, we're using jargon that made, made apps meant nothing to me. Um, you know, acronyms for you know for the sake of acronyms. Yep. Um, and feeling completely out of my depth. You know, feeling that I didn't belong because mm -hmm. you know there wasn't anybody that you know that resembled any myself, uh, and wanting to run for the hills. Um, but but Richard. Uh, in his leadership style and showing his vulnerability, you know, because you assume that everybody else knows exactly what they're doing uh, and they understand exactly what's being said and you're the only person in the room that's confused. But he was really um, just real. He was real. Yeah. Um, so, you know, through his vulnerability, it allowed me to learn. Yeah. Uh, you know, and, you know, creating that space, we talked about like workplace psychological safety. He created the space for me to learn um, and learn my craft and learn my skill and gain my confidence. Um, so, no, he's not famous, uh, um, but uh, he is to me. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I just think that shows, the, you know, for me, the power uh, of a good leader and what yeah. you can enable somebody else and how you can enable them to be themselves and grow. Yeah, mm -hmm. so good. Yeah. Is anyone for you? Uh, yeah, again, I, I think we we tend to talk a lot about the famous ones, but mm -hmm. it is often the, the quieter ones that have the most profound impact on me. And and I think about uh, people that I've worked with over the years. There there are a few that really stand out. And what's really fascinating to me is that they're often um, the reflective thinkers and you know in a tech um, these are all tech business leaders mm -hmm. um, they're reflective thinkers they're they're highly analytical they stay awake a lot at night and this is probably sounding a bit of a cliche but I've noticed that these are things that they all have in common um, often quite anxious and and very uptight and, but on the surface, um, they're the beautiful swan. They actually seem to be quite laid back and laconic and loved by everybody. And, you know, I think about um, the vulnerability uh, of those leaders in talking about the challenges that they have mm -hmm. every day. And um, there's one that I... I was privileged enough to, to be on the end of a conversation where one gentleman told his whole exec team about how he wakes up with the dread on his chest every day, um, the responsibility that he has for all of his staff and their families and how it is they're feeling and how he's going to manage cash flow and product launches and he just carries it all, you know, and to, to actually talk about that and the impact that that has had on the exec team with we're all in this together, you're never alone. And, and yeah, he, he'd been alone for, for many, many years. Mm. And I think there is so much in that. But, you know, we could probably have a whole hour on that. <laughs> for because, sure. Uh, I think um, that the whole area of vulnerability mm. really does begin with I don't have the answer. I might own the company. We could be turning over a couple of hundred million and I might be the founder and majority shareholder and I am terrified. I've never, I wake up every day and I have never been here before. 
Um, leadership is just so lonely and it can be incredibly isolating if you don't begin those conversations. Mm. So, uh, yeah, we need more of those. We need more of those quieter voices, those people that do wake up with dread or maybe they haven't even been to sleep yet. <laughs> yeah, more of those stories. Yeah. Yeah, honesty, authenticity, vulnerability, all of the all of the buzzwords that's so important and so Yeah, powerful. they are. They're such buzzwords. And I don't think um, there's many companies that get it right. You've mm. got the values on the wall, yeah. and, um, on the mugs, yeah. on the mouse pads. Yeah, <laughs> but actually doing it is very different. Yeah, li living those values. Um, yeah. There, there's, yeah, there, it's a very big ask. Okay, let's shift tack slightly then just for the final few minutes. I'd love to hear any examples of organisations you think that are doing some really good initiatives. So great things. So there might be things that have been in your awards that we're celebrating. Any really great examples of things organisations are doing that some other organisations might want to steal some from? Yeah. Uh, we've got to talk about REA Group. <laughs> yeah, go for it, Lully. Uh, no, I mean, it, it's, uh, and you know, Susan's got a much deeper relationship with REA Group than myself. I mean, I was only introduced to the team um, this year, and they're the, the first alliance partner of the foundation. Um, but, um, you know, in regards to a company that, that walks the talk, um, you know, recognises they don't have all of the answers, uh, wants to partner with an organisation, A, who we've got shared goals and shared vision. Um, but, you know, they also want to, to help the, the industry. Um, so, you know, you know, it's the initiative they have in regards to, it started off as a gender um, strategy, um, but, but now it, it's stretching to a broader strategy, but they, they're just, they just want to learn to be better. What can we do to be better? for ourselves and everybody within the organisation. Um, so I think, you know, when you're coming at something with with that lens, um, I, I just see you know, that a lot of people could learn from that. And the support they've got at a leadership level to, to, you know, to be able to, you know, to embrace that uh, and move it forward is, is incredible. Um, so, you know, it, I don't work at REA Group, but, you know, if everything goes tits up with BCS and everything else, I will be looking for a job at REA Group. <laughs> so, Louise, look out. Um, but, you know, but seriously, I mean, you know, that, that is a company that I didn't know much about apart from, you know, you know realestate.com, which is a, a fraction of what they do, um, that, that has truly impressed me. Yeah. And I yeah. think, the, yeah, I mean, it's one of the first points, but the fact that they've put dedicated resource, the fact that they've put budget behind it, like there's some real basic steps that lots of those organisations, when it is tick box, they don't mm. take that step. You don't see a dedicated right. resource and you don't see budget. So that for us is always a sign that an organisation is, is, is serious about this journey. Yeah. Yeah. REA Group, they won the Media Award in 2018. Uh, and then went on to be a sponsor in 2019. And Louise Alfonso said, right, I want to know a lot more about what it is we can do differently, um, what it is we can do to be better around diversity, equity and inclusion. Um, and now they're on board as an alliance partner with the Tech Diversity Foundation. So we are doing a lot of work together. And, you know, it's, it's organisations like that, you know, not just about being intentional, 
it's also about creating a bit of a movement behind that intention top down. Um, it's not enough to have a DEI policy or to hire somebody in that space. Mm -hmm. The whole organisation needs to get behind it and everybody at REA Group would know about it. Um, so I think that that is, is one example. But another one, um, also 2018, um, it is a DHHS Rise was the name of the program. You can get onto the website and have a look at, um, there's a video there with Steve, who's the CIO of DHHS, and they had 30 kilometres of paper that had to be archived. And they formed a partnership with an organisation called Specialist Earn. Mm -hmm. And Specialist Earn um, helped to find people on the autism spectrum places of employment. And the request from DHHS to help get all of this, all of this documentation done and archived, a massive project, they ended up hiring, I think it was three or four people through Specialist Earn. I love the, I, I think back now to that nomination and the impact that that nomination had on me. I'm, I'm a judge in the Tech Diversity Awards as well. And I just thought, wow, that was something that Steve was really clear about. I've got this project, I need this, this done. And this is an opportunity for us to create a more diverse workforce within DHHS. The biggest impact for me was um, it was Christmas Eve that year when I met with the videographer and went into DHHS to interview them, have, having won the award. And one of the, the ladies was talking about, you know, how proud they all were to win the award. But she said, you know, I'm surrounded by people that say, thank goodness it's Friday. And for me, I just think I am so lucky to have this job. Everybody deserves a job. And Specialist Earn, another organisation to have a look at, it's Specialist, E-R-N-E, originally a French company, um, if, if you are listening to this, this podcast, um, it is such a wonderful organisation to look at if you are looking at creating greater diversity in your workforce because um, the work that they do, they partner with a variety of different organisations around the world. Um, DHSHS is a great example. The people that were originally in there have all been promoted and moved to other departments and they've gone on to hire more people through Specialist Earn. So, you know, as I said earlier, focus on one area of diversity, any area at all, mm -hmm. and it's a bit like a fishnet. You'll be lifting up um, your diversity stats across the organisation by doing that. So, yeah, that, that's one of my favourites. There are lots, though. And there's I'm sure. On the <laughs> I'm sure. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's a really great example, anything that's having a benefit beyond just your organisation, but also across society. And I, I guess part of why you celebrate all of these is because then it's having that, that knock-on effect to inspire others as well. So I love that. Thank you for those examples. I think we'll probably leave it there. That was some really good conversations. We know that we could all keep on talking about this forever. Um, but I might ask you then, what are your biggest takeaways from this conversation and anything you want to leave the audience with? Any final thoughts for them? Oh, well, my, my biggest um, takeaway from this is that really uh, 
you know, we, we can talk a lot about diversity, equity and inclusion. Like, <laughs> I'm sure the three of us could keep on yep. going <laughs> for a long time to come. Uh, for anyone out there that is interested in doing something about diversity, equity, inclusion, I mean, the, the, the big takeaway, if I was to, to choose one, um, it, it's to do a benchmark on where it is you are now. Like, how... Mm -hmm. How are you going with regards to diversity? Um, how engaged are your employees? And, you know, are they are they generally happy at work? How are they feeling? You know, what are the levels of psychological safety within the organisation? You know, that we we know for a fact that a lot of people. I mean, the latest research now is that a lot of people on the back of COVID are going to be looking for work elsewhere. Well, it doesn't have to be my company it doesn't have to be your company um why why don't you know why don't they choose to stay and and maybe that's where it starts you know getting getting intentional so that that's the the big thing for me that's my main message perfect Lily yeah I think um start the conversation um you know whether it's with your friends with your family with your colleagues um start the conversation I think um, the more we, we talk about uh, diversity, equity and inclusion and the value and importance of it. And if you're not sure about that conversation, um, come see us, the Tech Foundation. Uh, we're around, you know, it would, what, what we're talking about here is not just applicable to the tech sector, it's transferable across all sectors. Um, so, you know, we're, we're, we're friendly, we're inclusive. Um, so, so please, you know, start the conversation or come talk to us. Um, I think that's the, the, the most important thing we can all do. Yeah, and I know you really mean that. I think what we find is everyone that's, well, the majority of people that work in this sector, we all geek out on this. We love these conversations. Yeah. <laughs> so um, everyone's very happy to talk about it. It's not it's not a burden or an inconvenience. So yeah, I know you are truly meaning yeah, that. Yeah, 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 100%. <laughs> Perfect. Okay, thank you both so much. Wonderful conversation. I've got a feeling we might need a round two because I've still got a zillion questions to ask. <laughs> thank you so much. It was great to get to talk to you. No, no likewise. Thank you, Kerry. Really, really pleased to be part of the conversation. Yeah, thanks for having us, Kerry. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. If you found this episode useful, the best way to support us and spread the message is by telling a friend or a colleague. You can also give us a rating or a comment on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you'd like to learn more about Leaders for Good and how you can start making positive change, head on over to leadersforgood.org and join our free community. Thank you.